1: two guys no credentials reviewing rolling stone 500 greatest album and welcome back everyone to the sound logic podcast today we're discussing album number 51 on rolling stone magazine's top 500 greatest albums of all time This is Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel.
0: I still can't quite believe that we have 50 episodes under our belt. Um, Mike, you and I were talking the other day about how our last sort of decade of albums, 41 to 50, had more guests than any other group of 10 uh, that we've done so far. And so what better way to begin this next decade, episode number 51, than by having a guest on with us tonight. Um, I'm really excited to have... My friend Sarah with us. Uh, Sarah and I met, I think, through the grad student unionization effort here at Penn State. Um, she's since moved on to um, bigger and better things. At least I hope so, uh, <laughs> in different parts of the country. And um, uh, but but while Sarah was here at Penn State, I knew her to be someone with a deep passion for uh, injustice and. Um, and sort of trying to make a better world uh, through our, our voices and through our actions. And um, uh, Sarah was a frequent attendee at our, uh, our grad student pub night. And so we've uh, we've sat around a table enjoying uh, local craft beer, talking about um, all that's wrong with the world and all of our hopes and dreams for a better world. And, uh, and um, when I heard that uh, Simon and Garfunkel was a, an artist that she'd be interested in joining us for, I thought, perfect, we've got coming... Uh, one coming up here at episode 51 so we're really happy to have you Sarah um we often ask our guests to introduce themselves too so I'm not sure how you are introducing yourself these days or if you're even seeing any people these days given that we are in the midst of COVID-19 unfortunately um but tell us a little bit more about yourself
2: um yeah so uh my name is Sarah Fry I uh Currently, I work as an instructor of criminal justice and sociology at Northwestern Oklahoma State University. Um, and uh, I'm completing my I have my master's in criminology and, and I'm completing still completing my Ph.D. in sociology right now. So that's like
0: exciting my, times. Yeah, <laughs> it's like my job. <laughs> Are you buried in grading right now, or are you pretty much wrapped up for the semester?
2: Yeah, no, the semester's done. I turned in all my grades. So now, just the past couple days, I've been taking, like, a little break. Because <laughs> it's been a hectic semester. So, semester.
0: Breathe, breathe deeply, yeah. Good. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, this is an album that... Um, is somewhat new to Mike and I I know it's been a part of your life uh, for significantly longer than than that and uh, a way we like to begin these episodes is to to talk about sort of where we first remember hearing this music um, I'm wondering if you want to start things off tonight Sarah what does what um, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water mean to you uh, do you remember when you heard it for the first time and uh, yeah anything you can you've got about that origin
2: <laughs> I, I think it would be <laughs> to say when I would have heard it for the first time, because it would have been before I could have started making memories, you know? Oh, my, I, yeah. Uh, like, Paul Paul Simon uh, music has been in my house um, since I was a baby, and pretty and almost exclusively for the first ten years of my life, that, that was what we listened to, was Uh, Simon and Garfunkel and later uh, Paul Simon solo stuff for uh, yeah about the first 10 years of my life (laughs) my mom um, she gets on a kick of like what uh, what musical artist she's interested in and like uh, we uh, and so we just listen to what my mom wants to listen to in the house so (laughs) (laughs) and she was on a pretty long Paul Simon kick
0: so. Is this album in particular one that rises to the top for you, or is it just all across the board good? Uh, do you have a favorite?
2: No, I don't know that I have um, I have, I have some, thing, some that I like more than others. Uh, definitely. I think I. one thing that I thought was interesting uh, and that maybe we would talk about, maybe we should talk about later or not <laughs> because it's like down lower in this list, but um i I think that uh I like Graceland more than this album um mm. which comes but that and that one's on the uh this top five hundred list, but it comes right around right seventies so
0: the the parental influence in my life would have had that one at the top too uh, um that's Graceland is one of my dad's favorite albums, so I think that was probably the entry point into. Uh, the Paul Simon universe for me was, was through Graceland. And um, I think it's only been sort of later that I've uh, made my way into the Simon and Garfunkel duo Um, through some sort of strange ways. I was realizing this week as I was trying to figure out where exactly the origin point would be for me, I think their greatest hits album was the thing that I would have picked up first. Um, And uh, at some point, probably when I got to college and there was sort of a faster speed internet and an open uh, network of free music, um, peak of Napster era, when we, when we got to college, um, uh, I would have probably got the Greatest Hits album. And, and probably this one, too, some point after that. But the two kind of blur together. I was looking at the track list for the Greatest Hits, and I think there are four or five tracks from this album on the greatest hits album, which is only like 12 or 13 songs, something like that. Um, and and so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I sometimes have a hard time pulling the the two apart to remember which is which, but, uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, I, I was also chuckling to myself because, um, for a moment in time, my wife and I were pretty interested in, uh, the american idol series especially in the early going and um skinny awkward clay aiken kind of sort of brought uh bridge over troubled water back to the pop charts
2: oh, that's right um,
0: yeah. i think it may have been sort of the the final song that sort of catapulted him to the to the finals uh and and meredith uh was sort of like cheering for him in in a sense may have even, I'm not sure if she wants me to admit this, may have even purchased his version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I I don't know. There's been some weird sort of little segues along the way of of getting to this. uh, I'm excited to talk about it tonight. Uh, What about for you, Mike? What what do you think of initially when you're looking at this album?
1: I guess uh, between the three of us, I'm at the beginning end of the spectrum in terms of my experience with any Paul Simon or Simon and Garfunkel. I'm familiar with a lot of the hits, the radio hits of Simon and Garfunkel and Paul Simon. I've enjoyed his music, but never really gotten into it. When I think about Simon and Garfunkel, the first thing that comes to my mind is it's the music that my aunts and uncles and their peers talk about and get really excited about at parties. Like the, Oh, Simon <laughs> oh, and Garfunkel, this oh, yeah. or that. And <laughs> talk about this folk, this folk music from a bygone era that, you know, and, you know, sometimes people get excited about music and they crank it in some rip roar and like rock and roll, really high energy, fast paced, you know, stuff like, Oh, you're going to love this. It's just cause going to get you pumped. But when you do that for something like (laughs) Simon and Garfunkel or you know Carol Kig or other stuff, it's like you don't get the same kind of oomph because it's not that kind of music. It's really, really good music. But (laughs) some people get excited, they get excited about the music they grew up with, but not in the same way as we and I think younger people get excited about the music that pumps us up or that we play sports to or we go out and party to and more it's like, well, this is how I expressed myself, you know, when I was at college in the 60s or 70s, and this is really was a part of my upbringing. So that's kind of what I think about when I think of Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> or at least before I listened yeah. to this album. And yeah. now that I've listened to it, um, well, I'll get into that later, but but uh, that that yeah. was my entry point. Really not very familiar. I had nothing against, nothing negative to say about Simon and Garfunkel before this, but just not too familiar.
0: That, that's a great segue as we get into details, Mike. But um, just very quickly before we do, uh, there's a documentary that came out in 2011 called The Harmony Game um, yeah. that focuses specifically on the making of this album. I uh, Confession time, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I found a couple of clips online today and um, one of them talks about Bridge Over Troubled Water specifically as as being this hugely successful song that doesn't sound like what you would expect a chart topping song to sound like. Mm. I, I think it's getting at some of what you just said there. Um, you know, you've got aunts and uncles raving about this music and then you go listen to it and probably especially, um, if we were sort of younger and maybe in our teenage years we would have said like this this is sort of what what's making you pumped up because it doesn't sound like what you expect a hit single to sound like and and they were admitting in this clip that um, it, it was really the the studio that their record label that said, there's greatness here even though it's not traditional let's push it out front let's make it the title track let's make it the debut song let's make it the lead wow. single uh all things that the that simon and garfunkel were sort of like are you sure like it's not it doesn't make logical sense i think they were leaning more towards uh cecilia uh which mm. does sound like a uh you know pop chart topping hit. um yeah in a very specific way and so Yeah, I think that's a great way to sort of begin the conversation about this album, because it it doesn't quite fit what you're expecting when you think about great pop or rock albums, uh, especially with a track uh, like Bridge Over Troubled Water. So, yeah, we'll hold that sort of intention, I guess, as we (laughs) as we journey down this road together. Um, uh, And yeah, why don't we jump into some details next?
1: Details, 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 details. That's a great idea and a a good segue Uh, So in terms of timing This album was released early in 1970 On January 26th It was Simon and Garfunkel's fifth studio album And their final album together as a duo Uh, All the songs were written by Paul Simon Except for one of the live tracks Bye Bye Love Which was an Everly Brothers tune And El Condor Pasa If I Could uh, which was a, a Peruvian traditional song, and only the lyrics were composed by Paul Simon uh, and arranged uh, by someone else. Um, in the studio, and an, you talked about a documentary, uh, and another documentary that we've talked to several times. This is the return on the Rolling Stone 500 list of The Wrecking Crew, um, and they've shown up on a few different albums that we've already talked about. And here they are again uh, lending their talents on a Bridge Over Troubled Water, a few different members of that team. Uh, this album charted number one in many different countries, including the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, Japan, Norway, Spain, Sweden, uh, and, and Germany, France did very well. Uh, to date, estimated sales are over 25 million copies, a very successful album. Uh, again, all over the world, people love this album. Um, they were working on this album for a while through 1969. Uh, Art Garfunkel would, would take breaks from time to time to uh, explore his uh, movie career, and he he was in a movie called Catch 22, based on the book. And so he would go off. uh, Paul Simon would write three or four songs for a few months. They'd come into the studio, record them, and then he'd go and write songs again. And every time he would finish, they would come back. And during that time is when our Garfunkel would go and pursue acting (laughs) because he didn't want to sit around waiting for songs to be ready. So uh, they were working on this through 1969. They declined an invitation to play at Woodstock because... They were focused on this album. Uh, I wonder what that would have been like if they had been part of that crazy lineup at Woodstock.
0: (laughs) You like Um, to add people to the Woodstock lineup, Mike. So just say that they were there. I've done it
1: many times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They took a break from recording to be at uh, the original Woodstock in '69. Everyone knows that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually performed at Woodstock. You know. Oh, whoa! He, he did.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Our first guest.
1: <laughs> I, I was going to bring that up later. <laughs> uh, we mentioned not only was the album commercially successful, uh, it did very well in award season. It, the album won Grammy Award for Album of the Year and for Best Engineered Recording. And the title track, Bridge Over Troubled Water, won the Grammy for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Contemporary Song of the Year, and the Instrumental Arrangement of the Year in 1971.
2: So, so you said that um, El Condor Pasa um, was based on a traditional Peruvian uh, melody. And that's actually the same mistake that Paul Simon made when he, um, when he used it. But it's actually uh, it was actually written for um, a musical play uh, from 1913, uh, and so there had that that song um, was like copyrighted, and he didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> and so then there was like, oh, um, okay,
1: yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, there was a copyright mm-hmm. lawsuit over that, and apparently it went pretty quickly. Um, because, like, uh, Paul Simon was trying to, like, the people that he heard it from was, uh, Los Incas, which was an Andean folk music group. Um, and they apparently told him, and I don't know, I don't know whether they were lying or if they were just misinformed about the origin of the song, but they told him that it was, like, a traditional Peruvian folk song. Um, Oh, Okay. And so then he took the music and added his own lyrics, um, but uh, but yeah, it turned out that it was not it was not a tradition. It was based on traditional Peruvian folk music, but it was made specifically for um, a Peruvian musical play, which is called a zarzuela. Hmm. And 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 the play was also called El Condor Pasa.
1: It's really interesting. And throughout this album, I hear so many different influences, from different styles, um, and I just imagine the songwriters in this era, they're just full of ideas and just almost ready to explode with all the different things they're hearing, and this is just another great example of, I, I hope we don't have to use the word expropriating, but uh, <laughs> being influenced by other styles of music. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and like throughout his career, like increasingly from this point, too, like I think that Simon started like kind of exploring American folk music, uh, but then he started to explore like folk music from um, like uh, all over the world, uh, and and taking that and putting it into into his sounds, Um, and you're starting to see that here in this album. Yes,
0: we'll have a much bigger conversation about that when we get to Graceland, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. uh, many people cringe at all the cultural appropriation. Um, yeah. But I think there is a, a way to sort of see what he did with that album as, uh, as something really special, too. So anyway, yeah, that's a conversation for another day.
1: <laughs> Sometimes, and I'm thinking about Bob Dylan albums, Ben, we've talked about yeah. different album covers that have photos that just seem like interesting choices. Mm-hmm. There's, there might be a bit of a filter on this, but it also looks a little out of focus and like, you can't even see all of Art Garfunkel's face and like their hair is messy. I, I don't know. It just, some of the shots we see on albums, like they just don't look planned at all. Somebody snapped something yeah. and was like, I took yeah. I took this cool picture um, or use this one. I I don't know. This is another one to me. Like, uh, it just almost seems like just a random shot of them walking down the street. Uh, I what do you guys <laughs> think about it?
2: Yeah, I wonder if it's like to highlight the height difference between the two of them.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the ir- irony though is that um. You- garfunkel you know suffered from this dynamic where he wasn't writing music and people often would ask like so what do you what do you really do in the band and this picture just seems to symbolize that like yeah. um, okay you stand uh, here let's put the most important person right in front of your mouth um so that uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> you are literally in the background of your own album um i i don't know it's just such so a strange a, yeah i mean it's kind of symbolic
2: too like like that he would, um, that like Paul is out in front of yeah, Art's, uh, Art's um, mouth like that, you know.
0: And Artie does not look happy. Like no. it, it looks almost like he's scowling. Like <laughs> he's been pushed back there. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and that's like a kind of a um, uh, like a motif that runs through a lot of the lyrics in this album too. Is the dynamic between, um, the Simon and Garfunkel because <laughs> this is like the yeah. last album they made together, and and uh, several of the songs are are like pretty pretty clearly, at least to me, about like their deteriorating relationship.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, you're right, and pretty on the nose too, like. Um... It's not really like subtle or hidden or, yeah. It's really interesting. And maybe we're just reading that into it because we know how much this really was. I I remember having the same sort of tension um, when we talked through one of the Beatles albums. Was it the White Album where, um, you know, the lore is that like they essentially recorded it in four different corners of the studio. Like they didn't really ever talk to each other. Um, yeah. And so you kind of like listen to that album and it sounds disjointed and you're like, Oh, it's because they actually weren't talking to each other anymore. (laughs) Um, But this kind of has that same vibe where you're like uh, not that the music suffers necessarily, but um, yeah, this album cover especially just does sort of (laughs) uh, now that we know sort of what all was going on. Uh, Yeah.
2: And, and sort of like, I I don't know, and then uh, Garfunkel's looking right at us at the mm-hmm. at the at the um, photographer, and then uh, Paul's kind of looking off to the side, you know. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird framing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very interesting interesting choice. Very interesting. So the the silly thing that. Now that I've, I, I hope I don't ruin this for you and everything else, but now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. If you, yeah. if you close one eye and kind of hover your finger over just Paul Simon's face, so you can see his hair, it looks like Art Garfunkel has a massive Fu Manchu mustache, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really, it's really That's funny. That's
2: hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Um, and wow. I, I mean, I, I saw that. I'm sure I'm not the first person to see that. I'm sure you could Google and somebody's ph- Photoshop that to put that <laughs> there, but that, you know, maybe that was part of the, the yeah. creative <laughs> maybe, maybe direction we'll as well. Way
2: too much into it. And, uh, and it was really just to give, art garfunkel
1: <laughs> who <made> you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there you go yeah i'm glad i left that to the end because it probably would have wrecked it that's
2: great yeah <laughs>
0: wow it, it, it is awkward um and they are they're awkward yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of the <laughs> like talk show performances from this era but they kind of um They answer host questions very shortly, and uh, I don't know. It just looks like fish out of water when they're um, being interviewed about their music. And then they pick up the instruments or start singing, and they just transform into these incredible, talented virtuosos. But um, Hmm. yeah, it's really fascinating. Tracks? Tracks. Do you want to go through them all tonight?
1: Yep. Yep. Yes, I will. It's There's there's only 12, so I can do that. When there's not, When there's like 53, I don't read them all out.
0: <laughs> We're into that sort of sweet spot for uh, a lot of LPs. Yeah. Uh, 11 tracks.
1: Yeah, 11 tracks, like kind of half an hour sort of thing total. Uh, a lot of times right around there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, five tracks on the first side starts with the title track. Bridge Over Troubled Water. El Condor Pasa, if I could. Cecilia. Keep the customer satisfied. So long, so long, Frank Lloyd Wright. I can't
2: believe your song. Side two opens
1: up with the boxer. The clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his tree, and he carries the reminders of every love that leaves. baby driver. The Only Living Boy in New York, Why Don't You Write Me, Bye Bye, Bye Love, a live track. the album closes out with the song for the asking it's a good Uh, list there's some good some good dynamite (laughs) tracks here
2: it's 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 a real interesting mix of like kind of serious songs and then like comic songs yeah like, uh, like I wrote down some notes about some different ones, and in, and in several places, I'm just like, This one's just funny, I don't know what to say about this one, there's nothing else to right. <laughs> like, Baby Driver, I wrote, This one's just dumb and fun, you know.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, which yeah. is like
2: their uh, uh the, the one that whenever I talk to, um, Older people and tell them that I really like Paul Simon. Um, they're always like, "Oh yeah, like '50 Ways to Leave Your Lover.'" And I'm like, "That's like the most popular one," and it's just, uh, you know, there's so there's so many like deep songs in in the Simon and Garfunkel and then Paul Simon, you know, collection. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I guess they wanna they. They had all these, like, they had, like, these fun songs and then also, like, these, like, um, other deep songs here, too, you
1: know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: It it reminds me, um, one of the online assignments that our kindergartner had to do this week was to uh, make a face that expresses different emotions. So, like, we have this wonderful uh, photo montage now of, like, her happy face, her sad face, her frustrated face, her, and these songs all have very different kind of like feel to them. Each each one kind of has a different vibe. It doesn't feel like there's a cohesive um, thematic feel for the entire album. You kind of bounce around from uh, happy to sad, to melancholy, to uh, depressing and and comical too. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. The composition, I, I, it doesn't necessarily always flow for me um, uh, the way that some of the albums that we've talked about have and in, in sort of the, the way that they're built. Uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water especially is, it's just a phenomenal track, but it is such a crescendo kind of song. It seems like such a backwards thing to put it right at the top of an album. Um, this to me feels like a track that should be at the sort of credits of a of a movie, it should be like near the end, or or maybe maybe partway through side two, or something like that. Um, but it's just sort of like you know hits you over the head as soon as you press play. This um, really intense building kind of kind of track that it just jumps right out of the gate at you. Uh, I don't know if if the, if you two have struggles with uh, the way that the, the album's put together or maybe I'm alone in that kind of dynamic
2: no I, I mean I don't uh, I get what you're saying that there's like that um, that, that typically you would have a song like that later and maybe it's just because I'm so uh, used to this album that like it doesn't mm-hmm. strike me as odd you know um, yeah but, like it means I mean Bridge Over the Troubled Water is one of the best songs on this album and it's easy to find, you know, it's the first one. So if you want to listen to that one, I think that there's also, um, through some of these songs, there's, there, there is like, um, an underlying, like, um, motif going on, you know, um, and like understanding the context in which it was written, uh, is kind of important to that because as, as you brought up Mike, like um, Garfunkel had, my mom says that uh, she would, she would say that Garfunkel, he ran off to try to be a movie star. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And actually, um, so it was, it was this movie catch 22 directed by Mike Nichols, who um, was also the director of the graduate, which they had worked both Simon and Garfunkel had worked on the soundtrack for that. Right. And originally Simon was supposed to be, uh, was also cast in that film. Uh, but then his character got cut and Garfunkel was like, yeah, I'll, but I'll still be in it. Right. (laughs) Um, so I think (laughs) that there's like a lot in here. Um, that's like kind of, um, resentment about that. Because mm-hmm. Simon's well known to be like the pretty much the sole writer on on all on all Simon and Garfunkel songs. You know, like Garfunkel is there to sing and he has a sorry. He has a great voice, you know.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Um, I agree.
2: <laughs> but in terms of like um song the song's meaning and musicality, I, I don't think that Garfunkel is really that much involved in in like uh Mm. as like the author of the songs you know
0: yeah right and i mean not just the dynamic of the duo but like the the country at the time with you know um escalating global crisis and feelings about vietnam and um all kinds of different things that maybe the weirdness of the way these songs bounce back and forth from emotion to emotion um, plays well with a society that is also itself sort of uh, experiencing some sort of manic realities too of, you know, American exceptionalism combined with the atrocities that are happening uh, in its name. And, um, And, you know, sort of its uh, its strong leadership combined with uh, ongoing assassination of of some of the most beloved leaders in the country, too. Um, Yeah, Hmm. I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I I have heard people talk about when they listen to this album, it transports them back to that sort of topsy-turvy moment in history um hmm. that unfortunately none of us were alive for <laughs> uh so we're, we're we're just speculating wildly but but i think there is something maybe to that uh a dynamic of these songs you almost can't decide as a as an american in 19 early 1970s uh whether to be happy or sad or depressed or yeah uh, joyful hmm. or not um yeah
1: hmm I agree with you, Ben, um, about the songs sounding very... I don't want to say disjointed. I'll say different and diverse. Yes. The question I was asking myself was, why doesn't it bother me that they're all different? Because I listened to that too and went, these songs are not alike at all, but it doesn't bother me. And I I love this whole album and everything seems to work even though they don't fit. So... Sarah, it's very interesting to hear you say there's an underlying motif that joins them all. Uh, I I'm I don't know what that is. Can you elaborate that on that a little?
2: Yeah. So it's I mean it's basically um, like uh, a a love. It's like <laughs> it's like Simon writing um, a resentful love letter toward Garfunkel. He knows that the oh. like that their relationship has been deteriorating and like the um, the separation has also like increased that over time, you know, um, Hmm. in particular, I think that this is, that it's like the key songs for that are so long, Frank Lloyd Wright and, uh, the only living boy in New York, which are both Hmm. very clearly about, uh, Garfunkel.
1: Okay. Yeah. I read that the connection between the Frank Lloyd Wright song was that it's a tribute to, the, the architect Frank Lloyd Wright, but also because our Garfunkel was training to be an architect, so it was, yeah, very clearly linked to to him as well.
2: Yeah, and if you listen to the lyrics on on Frank Lloyd Wright, um, it talks about like uh, all of the nights we harmonized till dawn. Like hmm. Simon didn't harmonize with Frank Lloyd Wright; like he harmonized with Garfunkel. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Yes, good point. <laughs> Um <laughs>
2: and and it's so um ironic because like Garfunkel's singing this song, but it's written by Simon like about him, you know, yeah, and he doesn't he didn't realize that it was about him while he's while he's singing it. oh wow, it wasn't until years later that that he realized that, and he got and he got really upset um, <laughs> and you can actually hear um. At the end of the song, you can hear the producer. If you turn it up loud enough, you can hear the producer saying in the background, um, uh, So long, Artie. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> <laughs> he understood what it was about. Wow.
1: wow. That's so interesting. Can we read that into even a song like Cecilia, which to me is is yeah. so... I I can't decide whether it's really funny or really sad, or maybe it's supposed to be both. Uh, (laughs) um, But can we read that into that as well?
2: Sure, sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If we can uh, put them at Woodstock, we can do anything.
2: <laughs> Cecilia. Fair enough. So, you know, I told you that that I've been listening to this uh, album since I was, like, a little kid. And, like, right. there, are, there are, like, references to, like, sex and stuff in this album. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, Cecilia, right? Uh, and, like, uh, when, when, it's weird how, like, uh, kids can hear stuff and not just not it doesn't even register that it's about sex you know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so like the line uh i got i got up to wash my face when i come back to bed someone's taking my place so that's clearly like right. metaphorical about like that she's cheating on him but i just always imagined it as like um, like he literally gets up from bed and then when he comes back like there's a cat or a dog like there's a pet
1: sitting in this big hey I was like,
2: yeah, that's
0: oh man that's that's heartwarming because uh yeah. this is easily my kids favorite song on the <laughs> album and they like Uh-oh. dance around to it yeah, because it's so poppy and it, upbeat it's and so, light a and
2: song. yeah yeah
0: um So hopefully they're just imagining when they jump into our bed in the morning and we come back and say, Hey, that's my bed. Get out of there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's funny.
2: Um, And so then the, the only living boy in New York, um, that one. So, so that's the singers talking to Tom in that one. Mm-hmm. Tom, get your plane right on time. Um, and originally, Simon and Garfunkel went by Tom and Jerry. So, right. uh, so, and then it's like about uh, it says, Tom, get your plane right on time. Uh, I know that your part will go fine, like your part in Catch 22, you know? Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> fly down to Mexico. That was where they were filming, you know? Um, wow. So, and so that's huh. about the loneliness of um, like being alone in a crowd you know like there's so many people in New York and yet it it feels like to the singer to the narrator of the song that, that he's the only only person alive um, as if he has no other connections there you know mm.
1: wow. it's
0: uh, drawing me to the uh, maybe half decent movie with an exceptional soundtrack, uh, Garden State, I'm not sure if that's a film that maybe you are familiar (laughs) with, but um,
1: that's a good, that's a good movie.
0: That that song, the only living boy in New York comes at a sort of crescendo of the movie as well. Um, I, I think capturing that same sort of sense of loneliness when you're surrounded by people.
1: Hey Albert. Yeah. Good luck exploring the infinite abyss. Thank you Hey You too Huh, I didn't remember that uh, That song Uh, Can we talk about the boxer for a bit? Yes (laughs) Maybe we should
0: have just gone track by track Through this one, I don't know
1: Oh, I, I, as much as you joked about 10 hours I don't know if I'm up for it <laughs> <laughs> um, okay the boxer it's we talked about the different styles and themes and going from happy upbeat funny to kind of more this is more of an epic ballad uh, a storytelling song and i uh i i love it and the first thing i want to say is i heard it a few years ago and i hadn't heard it in a long time and when i heard the 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 refrain instantly i was taken back to you know being a child and hearing that and knowing that part all of a sudden i was like "I, i know this song i've heard this before Even though I hadn't really absorbed the whole song or known what it was called or known that it was even Simon and Garfunkel, but there's, I just had memory of being, you know, being in the car listening to the whatever adult contemporary radio station my mom listened to in the car. Like that was a song that was on a lot. So that was something that I knew was uh, floating around in my memory bank somewhere. And that only happens because it gets played a lot Uh, and was always kind of there. Um, and it's just kind of this meandering epic song uh, one of the first times I was listening to it in the last few weeks uh, in the second verse when that very buzzy kazooie sounding harmonica comes in, I had—I actually <laughs> checked my speaker like I thought the speaker had busted and was, was just buzzing out and, oh man, I made it pop something there oh, no, it's supposed to sound like that that's an interesting choice
0: <laughs> that's funny
1: you said your kid's sing songs and they don't realize what the lyrics do do your kids sing very joyously uh there were times i was so lonesome i took some comfort there (laughs) and not realize what that's about (laughs) Uh,
0: this is not one that they seem drawn to um they're they're into uh uh well right now they're listening to the soundtrack from trolls 2, which is mostly um classic rock songs um but but this would be far too melancholy and 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 sad for them to really be hooked on. Uh, I don't know if they know the words to Cecilia, uh, but they they love to dance around to it. Um, yeah, I think the lie the lie they have sung along to while it's been on, but uh, the rest not really my, uh,
2: <laughs> my mom says. Uh, you know that Simon's a real artist because he knows where to put the la-la-las. And this is... <laughs> the most epic nonsense musical noises in, in any song that I know, you know?
1: That's funny. Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, and then all, I, also for years, for years, my mom would, instead of saying whores, she would sing loudly over that line and put replacement <laughs> girls... And, and I knew that I, was,
1: That's
2: like, great. I knew that I was becoming a woman when she finally like didn't sing over that, and I was like, "What? It says war. <laughs> like, yeah, it said that
0: the whole time." That's funny.
1: Back in 2012, I want to say, uh, uh, my wife and I were really excited about the up-and-coming Mumford and Sons album, yeah. and it hadn't been released yet, and oh, we were listening so... to. A radio show on the jazz station and there's a special show called uh, Radio Deluxe which is hosted by uh, jazz guitarist John Pizzarelli and his wife and they play jazz music and talk about stuff but sometimes they play other stuff and he said uh, okay here's something a little different Uh, my daughter's into a band called Mumford and Sons and uh, here's a a song coming out on their album it's uh, their version of The Boxer by Simon Garfunkel and so we heard it on the radio on a jazz station before the album had even come out and we were both just blown away their version of the boxer on their second album Babel, is really well done it's yeah. i think yeah. it's done well in their style but also uh, is is does uh justice to the original as well and i i love listening to that version too it's fantastic
2: yeah it is really
0: good when artists throw a uh, a live recording on a studio album it always is a little jarring to me yeah. um when the yeah, audience i do agree starts to, when the audience starts to clap along to bye bye love and they're just like a a millisecond behind uh, it, it, it always just makes you chuckle uh, a little bit um <laughs> like come on fellas you could have gone in the studio and done this a little bit cleaner but i don't know there's something kind of um Maybe symbolic of the time too. That uh, it, it kind of makes this even more of a folk kind of album to have something like that on there, and uh, and it's sort of a more of a time capsule, I guess, of the era it was recorded as well. Uh, to have the the audience politely clapping along <laughs> as well is is kind of kind of cute.
1: Ben, when it's you and I, you know, we we usually fight over what tracks to put on, but when we have a guest, so we just turn it over to them. Sarah, if you could pick two tracks to go on our Spotify playlist from this album, what uh, songs would you want people to hear?
2: Well, that's easy. Uh, the title track, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and The Boxer. Perfect. I think, those are the, I think, I think that those are the two best ones on here.
1: Yeah, though I would choose the same. They stand out for me.
2: Yeah,
0: are they the ones you want people to know, or are they they your favorite tracks, or are they both,
1: <laughs> <laughs> both and?
2: <laughs> I think that those are the most important for people to know off of this album. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. They are they my favorite. They're probably also my favorites. <laughs> i love all of these um well okay i don't love um i don't love song for the asking or bye bye love as much as i like the other ones
1: that's fair okay yeah
2: it it feels kind of a weak ending to the album to me
0: (laughs) but an album with some very good depth i i I would oh, say yeah. you're allowed to have one or two that don't uh, just absolutely crush it on a great album like this.
1: <laughs> we were listening to this earlier this evening, my wife and I, and she said, "Are there any tracks that you don't like?" And I thought about it for a moment and looked over the list, and I said, "No, <laughs> there's not." Like <laughs> I, I, I do agree with you, Sarah, that the last two tracks are not as strong and probably I not i don't like them as much as the other ones and i think it is a bit of a weak ending but uh they're still all i do like them all they're all very good
2: it's all good listening
1: yeah it really is i think i wanted to say in in conclusion of just the album in general especially being the one out of the three of us who wasn't familiar i i really enjoyed getting familiar with this album and I listened to it quite a lot in the last uh, few weeks and I really got to absorb it and I really enjoyed it. It's one that I'm definitely going to come back to. And uh, I'm, I'm still just blown away by the, the diversity of the songs and how they all somehow seem to fit on this one collection, even though they're so different yet it does. Again, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't feel disjointed. And I think, think you make a really good point and i really appreciate your input there sarah that lyrically they're all tied with a common theme and motif uh so yeah that's that's just for me has just added another level to it i'm so excited to go back (laughs) and listen to it with that layer on top again it's really neat (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. well that's a good segue into some of our concluding thoughts um the first thing that we ask each week is whether or not this album is still relevant um I think this is an interesting question for this album because uh it's definitely great um, but there are some things that do date this this album and sort of place it in mm-hmm. its time i I think especially of the sort of flute backing track on alcandor pasa uh, you know, flute's just not an instrument that we hear a whole lot of in, in popular music today, and and things like the clapping along with "Bye Bye Love," just that song in general, kind of sounds yeah a little bit more dated. Um, but there's just a brilliance of songwriting here that that uh, I have a hard time saying that it's not relevant, despite its um, occasional dated sound. Uh, and and like we've already said a couple of times each track is just so good and well-written too, that even if it was all played or performed with instruments that we no longer use, I think I'd still be um, willing to lift it up. Um, so I'm, I'll start this off by saying, yeah, I think it's, it, it is still relevant and a little bit dated. Uh, how about the two of you? I, I,
2: uh, I mean, it's still relevant to me. I listen to this album all the time. So, hmm. um, I I don't know, um, these songs seem, um, a a lot of them seem very uh, personal to me, you know, Uh, so I don't know how much is like, you know, how how much is like politically relevant, you know, these aren't that much about, um, you know, politics or social issues to me. Um, so in terms of that, I don't know, but, but it's, I think that, I think that they're freaking good songs <laughs> and I think everyone should listen to them.
0: <laughs> well said.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to argue with that. I, I did, sh- I was struggling with this question. I think that for the generation's before us who grew up with this and anybody who's heard this and enjoyed it. I don't think it's going to one be an album that you say, I I used to like it, but I don't really like it anymore. I think that it, once you have heard it, it sticks with you. I struggle with seeing a younger generation getting into this. Um, That doesn't mean that it's not relevant, but I think that's at least some measure, but in any circle that's related to folk music this is like legendary almost biblical status uh of an album and and a duo so i think that i agree with you ben it's dated but still the the songs are so good and i had forgotten about that whole clay aiken uh thing and i remember now that you mentioned that ben hearing that song a lot and, and probably his rendition was played a lot on the radios. And I think we might've been traveling during that time as well a bit, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but um, when you have great songs, they will come back and whether it's somebody redoes them in a more modern way or with, with modern uh, production or instrumentation uh, that is a sign of just good songwriting and good music. So Mm-hmm. I think that even if some of the sounds and some of the style and maybe even some of the lyrics are a little dated, I think these songs will continue to come back. Uh, it's just our, our the popular style is just so different than this now that it, I struggle with it. But I think that it still has very much a place.
0: I think that's, uh, I think it's well said. Well, um, given all of that, how do we feel about its position on the list, now, Sarah? Um, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the twenty twelve Rolling Stone list that Mike and I have been working off of here, but it, this album, of course, comes in at number fifty one. Uh, any any sense from either of you about whether it needs to be moved up or down or stay right there?
1: Well, I want to I want to question Sarah right away because you said earlier that you would put paul simon's graceland ahead of this now is that simply because of your i mean it, the whole thing's subjective but uh you you think that that uh, deserves a higher position
2: yeah yeah i do i think that um i think graceland does a lot of uh, really interesting things it, it mixes a lot of sounds together um i think that uh simon's just really in this album just really starting to uh experiment with like uh, like things outside of american folk music um, and that that is just pushed forward even further in graceland um and then to me, one I also think that uh, "Rhythm of the Saints," which comes after "Graceland," is um, is is another really great album that that I I personally enjoy more than "Graceland," even. But oh wow, um, hmm.
0: that's one yeah. I'm not familiar with. I've got some homework now.
2: Yeah, check it out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would probably rate this album higher in the. I would I would probably rate Graceland higher than this one but I would also rate this one higher than where it is at uh, at 50 okay.
1: okay yeah well I don't have uh, I, I know Ben you're familiar with Graceland and it's one that your dad's fond of I again I'm not really familiar with much of Paul Simon. I, I just looked up a track listing. I know a couple of songs from that, but uh, I guess I'll, I will be familiar with it shortly <laughs> since it comes out yeah. soon. Um, I would put this album bridge over troubled water a little higher, at least one higher. Um, and uh, especially considering it's, it's both very commercially successful and critically acclaimed and also, it's really enjoyable and easy to listen to. It's not, you know, like a, a conceptual experimental album that was acclaimed, but you know, you really only listen to it once and you never listen to it again. It's it's good music and fun to listen to. I would see it even a little higher, and has has had great impact on on other musicians over the years. So yeah, i i, I would I would bump it up. I could think of a few albums that uh, we've listened to so far that I would put this ahead of
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll echo that i i guess i would say i hear my own voice uh not sure what to do with some of the other albums on this list that don't fit genre wise and i know that we've Mm. already tackled a number of folk albums but this is especially soft even for folk (laughs) i don't know if it's the sort of delicate nature of of their voices but it doesn't to me initially scream uh, Rolling Stone, the magazine. When I listen to right. it, right. Um, uh, and so it's it's it's. I don't know. I'm not sure if this will crack Ben's top ten, but I, you know, of my list of the greatest albums of all time, this should be way higher than number fifty one. But whether or not it belongs on this list at any higher than it is, um, that's where I'm getting a little stuck tonight. And maybe that semantics. Uh, maybe it's still me trying to figure out what in the world they were doing with this list. Um, it's a fantastic album, I guess is, is my conclusion. And I think it, it deserves all the accolades that it's getting. Uh, I don't quite understand how it fits with rock and roll, but I really love it. And, um, I'm glad we got to listen to it.
1: Me too. Um, So we like to talk about uh, if there's any other albums by this artist, very specifically Simon and Garfunkel (laughs) on the top 500 list. And they do come up again. uh, At number 202, we have Parsley, Sage, Rosemary and Thyme from 1966. And number 234, we have 1968's Bookends. And then... In the 2003 version, we're using the 2012 version, uh, at number 293 was their greatest hits. So that got cut. So we will get to talk about them a few more times.
0: Um, We should also say uh, Art Garfunkel was a solo artist for many years. He does not have any albums on the top 500 album list. Uh, But Paul Simon, as we've already referenced, does. Um Graceland comes in at number seventy-one and uh his self-titled album from nineteen seventy-two comes in at two sixty-eight. Um and on the original uh two thousand and three list, he had another album. Uh there goes Ryman Simon. So if we get through the two twenty twelve list, um eventually we'll get around to that one as well. But three more Paul Simon albums there, in addition to the Simon and Garfunkel records that you mentioned, Mike.
1: Yep. That's right.
0: We've said this a bunch of times, but I, I love when we get to an album that neither one of us are terribly familiar with and the guest comes on and just brings a whole other level of appreciation to it. And I, I think that happened once yeah. again. So yep. Thank you so much, Sarah, for
2: Hello. for your
0: voice and your wisdom and your passion. Uh, I can hear uh, just the difference in being sort of raised with this music, as opposed to finding it later in life, like Mike and I have, um, it's been a joy to to reconnect here this evening.
1: Absolutely.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you, guys.
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, this conversation about uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and we hope you'll join us next time when we talk about album number 52, which is Al Green's greatest hits.
0: Oh, boy, a compilation Until album. Until then,
1: yeah. Until then, uh, Sarah, Ben, take care of yourself and everyone at home. Uh, please take care of yourselves as well. And we'll talk to you next time on the sound logic podcast. Thanks Sarah.
2: Thank you guys.
1: If you like what you hear subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review, send us a message at our Facebook page on Instagram
0: or through our sound logic podcast, Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.